Wrestling fans, are you ready? For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! I'm back! Miss me? Will run forever. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Wrestle Rant Radio right here on EC Radio. I am your host with the most Bleacher Report featured columnist Graham GSM Matthews, and a lot to talk about here on today's show. We had Night of Champions on Sunday night live on the WWE Network for only $9.99. Monday Night Raw last night. We also had the shocking injury. A former Shield member, Roman Reigns, which heavily affected Night of Champions and possibly even WrestleMania. We'll be getting to all that in just a minute. But before we go further, let's introduce my co-host for tonight, very good friend, Jacob Bloom. How's it going tonight, Jacob? Doing all right, man. Doing fantastic. Sounds good. Jacob's been on the show before. We're going to be talking about, like I said before, Night of Champions, Monday Night Raw. But before anything else, I really want to talk about this. It was announced on Saturday morning that Roman Reigns was injured. Um, nothing from what he did in the ring last week, but it was something basically out of the ordinary. Not, or, not, not out of the ordinary, but something pretty much that happened just out of circumstance. It happened randomly. Um, he suffered a hernia over the weekend in Nashville, only 24 hours removed, or before, I'm sorry, the Night of Champions pay-per-view in Nashville. Thus rendering him inactive to compete against Seth Rollins at the pay-per-view. So, there was a lot of news regarding whether Roman Reigns will miss about three to four weeks of in-ring action, up to four months. It's really all up in the air right now, and we still have to wait and see. But based off what the doctors have said and the breaking news update on the WWE Network, which you can go back and watch in the video library, Scott Stanford has told us that Roman Reigns could be out from anywhere from the next three to four weeks to, like I said before, to the next four months. So right now, it's really all up in the air. There's really no set timetable for his return. But like I said before, he was out of action for Sunday's Night of Champions pay-per-view where he was set to go one-on-one with Seth Rollins. Of course, the match was canceled, and we'll get to that in just a little bit in terms of how it affected the pay-per-view. But a lot of people have been saying... Could he be making a return to the Royal Rumble matchup? Maybe as the number 30, number 29, draw a lucky number, win the matchup, go on to WrestleMania to face whoever the WWE World Heavyweight Champion is at that time. A lot of people are speculating, myself included. It will be Brock Lesnar that's setting up the matchup that we've been hoping to get or thinking that we're going to be getting. Um, Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 31 next year in Santa Clara. So that being said, I don't really think so, but I'll get my opinion. I'll give you guys my opinion in just a second. Jacob, I want to get your two cents on this. What do you think is going to be happening with Roman Reigns? What was going through you head going through your head when you found out that Roman Reigns was coming down with an injury this past weekend? Do you think it will affect the immediate future of the WWE? I don't. I don't believe so. No, I think it was. Uh, as far as the character of Roman Reigns, I think it's a good thing to. Uh, I think it's a good thing that he's getting taken off TV for a while. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of guys right now in that scene in the. Uh, the mid the mid card to title run picture and uh, honestly I would take this time of him being off to maybe re- not repackage him like you know people know who Roman Reigns is but just you know uh, give him some new ring attire entrance music something to change him up um, 
I think him and him and Rollins not having the match at Night of Champions was the best possible outcome. I mean, I, an injury is never a, a positive thing, obviously, but um, the uh, the match on Monday, you know, him going over clean does it sets him up, and then him being away for a while, I think, will only be an enhancement to the uh, the character and the uh, crowd response of Roman Reigns. I don't want to say that he was getting stale in the time that he was on TV, but I absolutely agree that he should come back. Like you said, maybe not repackaged, but definitely maybe with a different theme. I've been saying this for a few months now, but I think the theme that he's currently using is far too associated with The Shield. And I think had they saved that theme um, until The Shield eventually reunites, whether it be three, four, five, ten years down the line, and you hear Sierra Hotel, India Echo, Lima, Delta, The Shield hit the arena – they're going to go ballistic. So, I mean, I know the intro was taken out and all, but I think if they save the entire theme until the shield reunites, I think that's probably the best course of action. And then give Roman Reigns his own identity, maybe strip him of that look that he currently has and give him some trunks or something. I'm not exactly sure. I like the look, but I think it's far too associated with the shield. So maybe they can freshen it up a little bit when he gets back, whenever that may be. But like you said before, I think it will be beneficial for the Roman Reigns character to take some time off. But my only concern is that Roman Reigns, if you really look at it in the long scheme of things, in the long term of things, Roman Reigns was the number two babyface in the company right behind John Cena. So with Roman Reigns out of the equation, who do you see filling that void for the foreseeable future? Definitely Dean Ambrose. I mean, there's nobody right now in wrestling that has a bigger pop for him than Dean Ambrose. I mean, he may not be... He may not be on the same level in ring work wise as some of the guys you might think as main eventers, but for a temporary, you know, main event fill in spot, the people love Dean Ambrose. They really do. So, I mean, Dean Ambrose is the only person I could think of to step up right now. Absolutely. I think his timing of coming back from the movie of filming the WWE Studios production lockdown could not have been timed better. I know it wasn't. Uh, planned ahead of time, but nevertheless, I think it was very, very cool for him to come back at the Night of Champions pay-per-view, only less than 24 hours removed from when Roman Reigns was injured. Dean Ambrose was set to return regardless, whether it be at the pay-per-view or Monday Night's Raw. I think it was supposed to be at Raw, but they kind of moved it back, or moved it forward a day, considering the fact that Mm -hmm. Roman Reigns was out of the matchup. But you said before, Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns had their Night of Champions matchup at last Monday's Raw. RJ and I talked about this last week and how it was kind of pointless for them to hold the rematch at the Night of Champions show. So I'm kind of glad the way it worked out the way it did. Um, and we also kind of talked about this a little bit before and how what the way that it ended up going with Dean Ambrose coming back and the angle and whatnot, and we'll get into that when we review Night of Champions. But I think it really worked out for the best. And I don't want to say it's for the best that Roman Reigns got injured, but I think the way the whole angle went down worked out for the better as opposed to getting a rematch between Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins at the pay-per-view. But with that being said, um, when do you expect Roman Reigns to be back in action? Um, well, with, with those kind of surgeries, man, um, you can't, there's there's no way to tell. Like, uh, <clears throat> there's just, there's there's absolutely no way to tell. With hernia injuries and hernia surgeries, it, like you said, that, that timetable the doctor gives you is the timetable that is pretty standard. You could be on your feet, and it's not like, you know, we're trying to see if a dude can get into, like, a truck and be an over-the-road trucker. Like, this dude's a professional wrestler. So you got to take as much care and consideration for the injury as possible. And, like I said, he needs to uh, really think about separation making the heart grow fonder as far as baby, baby face wrestlers go. 
I think the next couple of months, had Roman Reigns not gone injured and had he still been here, would have been used to develop the character. Because I think one of the biggest concerns as of last month after his win over Randy Orton at the SummerSlam pay-per-view was that he was not ready for that spot at the main event of WrestleMania which, uh, I mean, it's nothing set in stone, of course, but that's what was heavily rumored and speculated amongst fans. Um, I, I think he wasn't ready for that spot as of a month ago. I didn't think he was ready when he got injured a couple of days ago. But that being said, I thought the next couple of months when he could have been around in feuds with Rollins, Orton, Triple H even, I'll get to that in a minute too, um, I think these next couple of months could have served as a development period for Roman Reigns for both his mic skills and in-ring skills. And with the time that he's going to be off due to injury, I think that might hinder Rowan Reigns in the long term. I know he's going to get a big pop whenever he comes back, whether it be at the beginning of January, end of December, Royal Rumble, whenever it may be. The people are going to love him regardless. It wasn't the popularity thing that really had me concerned. It's more the fact that his in-ring skills and mic skills weren't really at the level that they should have been to contend for that WWE World Heavyweight title. So I ask you this, Jacob. Do you think he'll be ready for the main event of WrestleMania by the time he gets back? Um, well, in my opinion, as far as what I look for in main eventers and high-caliber players, I don't think any of the three members of the Shield are ready for a main event spot. So I don't think that Roman Reigns will be ready, even if it is four to, like three to four months when he comes back. I just there's the, all three of those guys are great where they are. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, they, yeah, I don't think any of them are ready. So I, I'm going to say no. So with that being said, too, Seth Rollins, with him being the current Mr. Money in the Bank, I never saw him cashing in at any point within the next couple of months before the end of the year. I think had Roman Reigns stuck around, had he, I, that's, I'll get to that in a second, whether he will be contending for the title at WrestleMania. That's my biggest concern. Maybe I'm just jumping the gun here. But uh, Seth Rollins, I didn't see going after that WWE World Heavyweight title, cashing in the Money in the Bank successfully until after WrestleMania next year. So I think he, too, could be ready by WrestleMania. Same thing with Dean Ambrose. I think he's improving at a rapid pace. I don't think officials ever expected him to get over as much as he did, as, as over as he is right now. But um, that being said, I mentioned this before, and I really wanted to talk about this. This is a feud that was first kind of teased the night after WrestleMania this year when Daniel Bryan won the WWE World Heavyweight title. The Shield came to Daniel Bryan's um, safety. They came to his aid and fending off Evolution, triggering that feud for the next couple of months. It was first teased on that show the night after WrestleMania, a potential feud between Triple H and Roman Reigns. Now, it was reported shortly thereafter that we might be getting that matchup at SummerSlam, of course, that did not come to fruition. Officials were hoping to do the matchup at Night of Champions. I'm glad that didn't happen either, considering the fact I think Triple H versus Roman Reigns, if done if done properly, could be a marquee matchup for any pay-per-view, for a big-time pay-per-view specifically. Um, I, I would personally love to see at a SummerSlam or a Royal Rumble or a Survivor Series. And that's the thing, too. They also teased it in the night after the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. They went with Rowan Reigns versus Randy Orton instead at Night of Champions, or I'm sorry, at SummerSlam, then with Rollins and Reigns at Night of Champions. So they never really got around to doing Triple H versus Roman Reigns. Now I ask you this, Jacob, do you think they'll do that matchup when Roman Reigns gets back? Do you think it's a matchup that we could see at the Royal Rumble, or maybe even at WrestleMania if Reigns isn't ready to contend for the World Heavyweight title? What are your thoughts? Uh, I don't believe that, I mean, for me personally as a wrestling fan, I, the idea of Triple H versus Roman Reigns really doesn't do much to to excite me as a wrestling fan. I can understand how it would make sense, you know, because say what you will, Triple H is the top heel of that company, whether he's an active wrestler or not. Because when you have anybody in that position of power, ever since, 
you know, the, going back to the Attitude Era and the Mr. McMahon days, anybody who's in a position of power on television is automatically going to be the top heel. There's just, there's nothing you can do about it. Just, you know, people don't like authority and like to see the authority upended. Uh, it's just, I, I would not be excited to see it, but I can understand how, a, how some wrestling fans would be. I would be more excited for a triple threat match for the briefcase between the three members of the Shield. Because I honestly don't see Seth Rollins cashing that thing in ever for a title win. But if they wanted to set up Roman Reigns or somebody like that, you know, Roman Reigns with the briefcase would really be exciting television considering, you know, you're not, you're not going to lock Roman Reigns in a broom closet. So it, it's, it would be, it'd be interesting television to see Roman Reigns with the briefcase as opposed to Seth Rollins. I think Roman Reigns, I, I don't think he necessarily needs that briefcase I, as I think that regardless of whether the injury or happened or not, I think he's a big candidate as of right now to win that Royal Rumble matchup. So I could see him winning that Royal Rumble contest and getting that title shot as opposed to someone like a Dean Ambrose or a Seth Rollins. Anything can happen, but you mentioned a triple threat match over the briefcase. I think at some point, like you said, I don't think any three of these guys, any one of these three guys are ready to contend for the world title right now, but I think it's a matchup that you could do down the line, whether it be at WrestleMania or SummerSlam next year. Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns for the WWE World Heavyweight title. I don't know how soon they could do that matchup. Obviously not right now, but maybe a little down the line, it could serve as a marquee matchup for the WWE World Heavyweight title. But um, that being said, though, it's going to be really interesting to see how Roman Reigns, when he comes back, and how it affects WrestleMania. So as of right now, do you see Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar, that rumored matchup being in jeopardy, or do you see them changing plans? I I don't see... I, I see the match. The match is obviously in the bank for it to ever happen if it needs to happen, but I don't see Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar in the next year. So that's just my opinion. And I was thinking about that last night. If Roman Reigns is not ready to contend for that world title come WrestleMania, he was the only other guy that people could see being a legitimate threat to ending Brock Lesnar's reign of terror. So with Roman Reigns out of the equation, let's say he doesn't come back until Royal Rumble and officials deem him unable, not unable to compete, but unable to face Brock Lesnar, that he's not ready to contend for the WWE World Heavyweight title in the main event of a WrestleMania. So, say that's the case, who do you think they would put in there instead with Brock Lesnar, assuming that he holds that title until WrestleMania? See, that's the great thing about the, about the Brock Lesnar title run. The way they've built him, he's there's two men that you can conceivably have facing Brock Lesnar with the audience having a chance of thinking they could win. Triple H or The Undertaker. Those are the only two, because Triple H is the only guy, who's, besides John Cena, that has beat Lesnar since Lesnar has come back in 2012. And I could, I would be more excited to see a Triple H Brock Lesnar match, believe it or not, for the world title than I would, or have like a thing where the Undertaker comes back, surprise entrant at the Royal Rumble, you know, wins the Royal Rumble to, you know, avenge his loss uh, WrestleMania to Brock Lesnar. And then having Undertaker win the title, and then as the following night on Raw, have a retirement thing, and then whoever has the case, you know, come out and catch it. And then something like that to me would be amazing television. So right now, I don't see anybody who I could conceivably say, well, well that was pre uh, Night of Champions. The way they booked that match against him and John Cena, uh, Lesnar came off. I mean, he looked 
strong, obviously, but he came off. God, we'll talk about that later. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. But right now, it's Triple H for the Undertaker. They're the only two people I could see going against Lesnar at WrestleMania. Two very interesting scenarios that I have not heard anyone say before you just said it, um, with Triple H possibly saying brought possibly facing Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, The Undertaker as well. I don't see them being as viable options. I don't know what Triple H would do at WrestleMania if he didn't face Triple H. If he, I'm sorry, if he didn't face well, Roman no, Reigns. I, I, have a, I have a theory to back that up. I mean, I'm not... My theory for that would be um, Brock Lesnar kind of gets a big head, him and Paul Heyman, mm-hmm. and there's nobody who can beat him, and Triple H, you know, is under the gun because, you know, that nobody wants Lesnar as champion because he's too dominant. Not Not too dominant, but... You know, he's just a really bad, like a really big heel champion. And Triple H is the only person, you know, that he said he's going to try to lace up the, you know, lace up the boots and try to take the belt from Lesnar. And then you can have, you can still keep Lesnar off TV and keep him look strong. And then you can get uh, a really good program out of Paul Heyman and Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. And, like, I don't know who you'd book as the face and heel in that angle, but I think that there could be, I could be a really interesting angle going into a WrestleMania. I'm not going to say it's completely out of the question. I just can't see it. I, I, I'll say this. I don't think it's the best course of action. I mean, it really all depends on how it's booked. But my only issue with that is it's something that we've already seen before. You know, with Brock Lesnar and Triple H, it's a feud that was done death from, what was it, 2012 to 2013. They had a few matches. I'm not going to say they were bad. They were good matches. Some of them were, you know, they, it wasn't their fault that the matches died a death at whatever event they took place at yeah. WrestleMania Extreme Rules. Um, but well, I was, no, I'm not saying it's the best course of action. I'm just saying, as far as right now, in my oh yeah, in absolutely, my observations of wrestling, those are the two, those are the two conceivable options that I think would be the most entertaining mm-hmm. out of the current landscape. Yeah, because I don't think, like you said, I don't think if I scratch those off the table right now, there's really not many other options. I mean, I know Daniel Bryan is an obvious option. I can't see him being the one to beat Brock Lesnar. I could see him winning the yeah. Royal Rumble, coming back in that matchup or beforehand, whenever, coming back, winning that matchup, and then going on to lose to Brock Lesnar. I don't know if they would do that. I, usually they don't they don't go off WrestleMania. They've never gone off here's, WrestleMania. If John Cena, if John Cena, here's the thing. That's what that's where SummerSlam has been the biggest impacted show of this whole year. After booking the Hulk Hogan of our generation to get beat that horribly to a man. There's no way that, I mean, yeah, casual wrestling fans like Daniel Bryan will be excited just because Daniel Bryan came back. But there's nobody with a brain in their head who will think that Daniel Bryan stands a chance against Brock Lesnar. There's, no, there's nobody, there's no way you could make that a conceivable threat. That's exactly it, especially not only that matchup, too, when he decimated John Cena at SummerSlam, but you take into the long list of victims of Brock Lesnar, all the people that he's beaten in the last year alone. We'll go through it right now. John Cena at SummerSlam absolutely dominated him. The Undertaker at WrestleMania, of course, ending the, uh, the undefeated streak of, of, uh, of The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Right before that, The Big Show, they showed the video clip at Night of Champions a couple days ago when he absolutely decimated The Big Show at the Royal Rumble. CM Punk at last year's SummerSlam, I know they obviously won't mention that, with CM Punk being gone from but that's, the company. That's, that's the funny thing, though. CM Punk has been the closest man, with the exception of John Cena pulling off what he did. I've watched, uh, I, the other week, uh, I sat and watched every single Brock Lesnar match since his return in 2012. CM Punk conceivably gave the biggest threat throughout the match against Brock Lesnar. He did. And then, but then again, that was before you know this. This that was pre Brock Lesnar ending the streak, being a madman. So you got to take that into account. But then you also have to think: 
Daniel Bryan is one of the only men in the company who has beat all of those men in the last two years that Brock Lesnar has decimated with the exception of The Undertaker. That's a good point. I mean, if you go down the long list of victims of, that Brock Lesnar has beaten since, well, since uh, last April, since his last loss, his last loss, I mean, officially, not counting that of champions, came over Triple H at WrestleMania 29. After that, he beat Triple H at Extreme Rules, beat CM Punk, beat The Big Show, beat The Undertaker, beat John Cena. And you make a good point. Daniel Bryan has beaten all of those guys, with the, with the exception of The Undertaker, someone who's, who he's never faced before. So I guess you can make that case, but like you said before, he's a guy that, Brock Lesnar that is, is a guy that absolutely dominated John Cena at SummerSlam. And Daniel Bryan, I'm a big Daniel Bryan fan, he's so over and whatnot, but you can't really consider him a threat to Brock Lesnar. I know this is pro wrestling, I've said it before, that all suspense, all suspension of disbelief goes right out the window when it comes to pro wrestling. But even so, I think just with the way that Brock Lesnar has been booked, I just can't see him losing to someone like a Daniel Bryan well, then, or even a Dean Ambrose for that for that matter. You also have to take into account Daniel Bryan's health. I mean, Brock Lesnar isn't one of the guys, isn't a an entering competitor that likes to work at a smooth, flat, everybody laying on their back, flat wrestling style. Um, Daniel Bryan isn't going to be able to take 16 German suplexes to the head and neck. Exactly. I'm, so you got to keep that in account. And can you make it entertaining and not unsafe for one of the competitors? And I don't think they could make an entertaining match and keep it safe for a guy who was just out with neck surgery. No, that is exactly it. I think the biggest concern going into the Undertaker-Brock Lesnar matchup at WrestleMania 30, and one of the leading reasons why a lot of people, myself included, did not want to see it, was because given the fact the Undertaker's freaking 49 years old going on 50 in April, the guy can't take many bumps or many big bumps or as many bumps as like guys like CM Punk and Triple H and the Big Show did in their respective matches with Brock Lesnar. They had to have a safe matchup. And they had the safe matchup, and it sucked. It was not a good matchup at all. By far, Undertaker's worst WrestleMania match in years. So with that being said, they definitely need to change it up a little bit. With Daniel Bryan coming off of a neck surgery, which is something that should not be not taken seriously. This is something very, very serious when it comes to Daniel Bryan's neck. They can't have the kind of matchup that CM Punk did with uh, Brock Lesnar last year at SummerSlam, this year at SummerSlam with Brock Lesnar and John Cena. I absolutely agree with you. I don't think they can go out there and have the match that they're capable of having due to Daniel Bryan's surgery. And it all depends on when he comes back, too. If he comes back to the Great Rumble and he faces Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, I think it's too soon to do that matchup in terms of Daniel Bryan's health. It really all, it's, it's all a matter of when Daniel Bryan comes back. I also think, and obviously, you know, I, I hate to throw fantasy booking into, a, into a, an, an option, but right now, in the professional wrestling universe, including all companies, there's only one man wrestling that has the real-life credentials to somewhat uh, combat a guy like Brock Lesnar, and it, his contract up at TNA is Kurt Angle. And Kurt Angle has said for years he wants to end his career in the WWE. So if there's a man out there in the country that is a professional wrestler that has the history with him in a professional wrestling setting and also just the real-life experience of, of wrestling and grappling in general... It'd be Kurt Angle. I would love to see that. But then again, that's fantasy booking, and you can't really take that into account. 
No, I, I see. I definitely see what you're saying. I've seen a lot of people say that as well. I'm on the minor, I'm on the minority here, and that I don't really want to see that matchup, and I'll tell you why. Well, for one thing, Kurt Angle, like you said before, I mean, we're talking storyline here, is the only man in WWE history to beat Brock Lesnar via pinfall and submission, submission ever. He beat uh, Brock Lesnar on an episode of SmackDown early 2003, right before the WrestleMania matchup. That's one pinfall win right there over Brock Lesnar. Beat him via submission, the only man ever in WWE history to beat Brock Lesnar with a tap out at SummerSlam of that year. So he has the credentials against Brock Lesnar. Obviously, they have the history. They owned the year of 2003 with their awesome feud over the WWE Championship. So the history is there for that feud to happen. But like with that being said, I think that also kind of ties in what we were saying before with Daniel Bryan is the health issues. I don't think Kurt Angle is capable of having the kind of matches that he did with Brock Lesnar 11 years ago. I know they had great chemistry. People said the same thing about Big Show and Brock Lesnar. They had great matches, but that was the thing. It was 12, 11 years ago. They aren't the same guys that they are that they were in 2002, 2003. So that's that, my biggest that's concern. That's what excites me the most about it, though, because those their series of matches in 2003, I thought, were maybe my favorite series of matches between two wrestlers ever. And I, both of their styles have changed so much since that first feud in 2002-2003, but they have, if you if you look at it, they have really complemented each other. Kurt Angle has switched more to the MMA wrestling, hybrid wrestling style, and so has Brock Lesnar, and I think that I, we wouldn't get repeat matches of what we got in 2003. You don't have to do that. They would be weird hybrid shoot wrestling matches. Like, like, like uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the... Uh, the lockdown match between uh, Samoa Joe and Kurt Angle. Fantastic Kurt Angle match. Wore, Fantastic. Yeah, when he wore the MMA shorts. Yep. Like those, Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle could have those kind of matches on such a higher level. And that wrestling style looks more brutal and it looks more impactful, but it's, it's safer. There's not a lot of high impact. That's why I think that right now Kurt Angle would be an amazing option because with the way those two have changed their styles over the years, there wouldn't be, you know, crazy amounts of high-impact things to head and neck. It'd be a lot of real-life MMA grappling stuff, and I think that's what would be entertaining for me to see. I think so. I think so. I think it's all a matter of the if Kurt Angle is healthy enough. I mean, not even to face Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. I know there was a lot of concern, a lot of reports in recent months regarding Kurt Angle's health and if you'd even be able to go back to the WWE in an in-ring fashion, in an in-ring role. Because I know WWE is definitely cracking down on people coming back 100% healthy. I know Hulk Hogan wasn't able. He wasn't clear to compete. Due to the fact well, that Hulk he's Hogan's a, also 98 years old. No, no, no. I, 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 I definitely see what you're saying in that Hulk Hogan and Kurt Angle aren't <laughs> definitely in the same boat. Um, I don't want to see Hulk Hogan compete in another matchup, but Kurt Angle's definitely different in that Kurt Angle's wrestled only a couple months ago in TNA when he was facing Ethan Carter, and who else was he facing? I don't know. Whoever he was facing in TNA a couple months ago. I don't know. But, I haven't, I, you know my, my, my long-standing hatred of TNA, which we'll get into <laughs> later, I hope. But, yeah. yeah. No, 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 yeah, absolutely. I think, well, TNA and WWE are different in that sense that TNA is a little more lenient on their competitors' wrestling when they aren't 100% healthy. It's a little different. But even still, though, I think Kurt Angle can go in WWE. And we'll, you know, we'll transition into Kurt Angle right now, not more so Brock Lesnar, but we'll kind of talk about Kurt Angle because it's interesting that you bring him up. It was this past Sunday that his contract with TNA Wrestling officially expired. Now, where he goes from here is a very interesting turn of events. It's a very interesting announcement that Kurt Angle is set to make. I don't know when. I know he made the mention of it a couple days ago, a couple weeks ago. 
But I do know that his contract with TNA, as he said time and time again, I know he was driving that home on Jim Ross's podcast about a month or two ago, that his contract with TNA expired on September 21st. So as of right now, bearing any extension that he made with this contract with TNA, he's officially a free agent. So until he makes that announcement, I'm not exactly sure what the future holds for Kurt Angle. He could be another one of those surprise Royal Rumble entrants. Absolutely. Because where's the Royal Rumble held at this year? I don't even know. That's the thing. That's the thing. Royal Rumble this past year in 2014 was held in his hometown of Pittsburgh. But they're also going to be in Pennsylvania this year just in – not Pittsburgh – what am I looking for here? Philadelphia. Not too far away, but still within the same vicinity, so it could have a but huge pop. Philadelphia, the Philadelphia crowd has always loved that style of wrestling. Yep. So, I mean, the, the, the and Philadelphia, say what you will about Philadelphia sports fans, they pop. They're always a pretty hot crowd. So a, a Kurt Angle return at the Royal Rumble would be huge. No, absolutely. Just, that would be amazing. No, you can go ahead. Oh, no, that's just that, that, that to me would be incredible to have a Kurt Angle return at the Royal Rumble. If not win it, put himself in contention. And even if you want to take the title off of Lesnar before WrestleMania, that's fine. Just, you know, have him return and then kind of call out Brock Lesnar or something like that. That's that's my, my dream scenario because those are my two favorite, two of my favorite wrestlers of all time. <laughs> when it comes to Kurt Angle, I see him working more of a Brock Lesnar uh, the Rock schedule. Obviously, he's no movie star, but guys like Batista, Chris Jericho, Rob Van Dam, when they came back for very brief periods of time within those you know few months, they wrestled We're on Raws. They wrestled. Batista. No, Batista go right ahead. Said he wants to come back. Batista has stated he wants to come back after this whole Guardians of the Galaxy. That was before Guardians of the Galaxy became a mega hit that it was. So we'll see how that goes. But I mean. We could we could we get a Batista Lesnar match. That's the thing. It's it's so up in the air right now in wrestling that it's it's fifty percent exciting, fifty percent frustrating. Absolutely, I definitely want to talk about Batista. That's an interesting topic, and we'll get to that in a minute. But when it comes to Kurt Angle, he's a guy that I think there's a common misunderstanding in that. I don't think he's going to work every Raw, every house show, every SmackDown. He's a guy that at his point in his career, he should not be wrestling many matches. If they clear him at all for entering competition, but mm-hmm. if they do, they should save him for the... I mean, maybe you can have him wrestle on Raw every once in a while, but working every house show, Raw, SmackDown, that's not what he's interested in. I think, and here's the thing, too. I know Triple H, I know there's been reports, nothing's been confirmed, that WWE doesn't want Kurt Angle back for whatever reason, given his DUI record in the last couple of years, yeah. that he's not 100% healthy, whatever the reason may be. I still think that, I mean, no knock on Batista. I'm a Batista fan, and like I said, we'll get to Batista in a minute. If they can bring Batista back and think that he's going to be a draw for WrestleMania, especially in their main event, why not bring back Kurt Angle? This is a guy that was in the company six, seven, eight years ago. He's been very much missed by fans since, and the pop will warrant that. Like you said before, regardless of where they are, I think it will make for a very special moment in Pennsylvania if he were to return in the Royal Rumble matchup at 29, 30, whatever. But that being said, though, he's a guy that I think you can make money with, maybe off of the merchandise and the matches you could possibly have. And Kurt Angle's a guy, and here's the thing, the reason why I don't really want to see another Brock Lesnar-Kurt Angle matchup. I wouldn't hate it if it happened, but the only thing is, is that I think there's so many other guys in the roster right now. We are in a time where 75% of the roster is young guys. Guys like Daniel Mm -hmm. Bryan, guys like Dolph Ziggler, 
Dolph Ziggler and Kurt Angle, I don't know if they would do that matchup given Dolph Ziggler's current standing in the company, but they can always make a matchup out of Daniel Bryan and Kurt Angle, CM Punk if he was still around. So many guys they could do matches with, dream matches basically, and I think it fits the bill of a dream matchup with Daniel Bryan against Angle or Angle against Seth Rollins or Dean Ambrose or whoever. Um, I think it's a wasted opportunity to bring Kurt Angle back and to do a few they've already done before and have a match they've already done and not have Kurt Angle interact with a guy, young guy like a Daniel Bryan. Because I don't know how far, if Kurt Angle was to sign back with WWE, I don't know how long he'd be around for. You know what I mean? So that's my only concern and issue with the Kurt Angle Brock Lesnar matchup if they were to do it. Yeah. Well, no, that, no, that is. I don't think I don't have those concerns because I mean I, I I agree with those statements as well. But my thing is, is if Kurt Angle were to come back, uh, it, he he's not going to be another WWE World Heavyweight Champion. He's not going to be, you know, his career is over. He's had too many surgeries. He started his wrestling career having a broken neck on his record already. So that is a that is a major thing that he's wrestled this long for. You know, with the, with the history he has with his neck and his abuse, his substance abuse problems, and that's fine. But the thing is, is just if you bring him back, I think it would be either you bring him back to do something against Lesnar, or you don't bring him back at all. Because I honestly, I don't. For me to see Kurt Angle as an enhancement guy to put over, you know, young talent, that's just not that's not his style. That's not what I would believe Kurt Angle to be. So, in my opinion, it's either you give him a match against Lesnar for the title, or you just you don't bring him back at all and just let him retire on his own, bring him into the Hall of Fame in five, ten years. I think it's just kind of a one-and-done deal with Kurt Angle that they bring him in for a matchup. I mean, you could do a thing at the Royal Rumble, like you said before, have him come back, wrestle for 5, 10, 50 minutes against whoever before he wins, loses, whatever. But then you kind of build towards a WrestleMania match, like a one last matchup with Kurt Angle. And it like a Sting, I know Sting and Kurt Angle are on different levels when it comes to popularity or whatever and intrigue when WWE it comes to WWE. Will not let former TNA guys go at it on their biggest show of the year. Oh, absolutely not. No, no, no. I'm not saying Kurt Angle should face Sting at, at <laughs> WrestleMania. That's a bound for glory main event right there. But um, yeah. I, I think it's kind of a one and done deal with Kurt Angle that they haven't come back. Do one more match at WrestleMania and then just kind of call it quits and maybe go into the Hall of Fame because he definitely is Hall of Fame worthy. Like you said, they'll bring him back, do the Hall of Fame in five, ten years, whatever. But uh, well, yeah, either way. The fact that he's the only gold medalist in history. I mean, that right there. That alone warrants. is warrant of a, of a Hall of Fame spot. Absolutely. But with well, that. Yeah. No, go right ahead. No, no, I was just saying I, I agree with you 100% because. It's he's Kurt Angle not being a, a up for the Hall of Fame when Edge is. I mean, come on, Kurt Angle should be in the Hall of Fame already, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. I think all the things that he accomplished in the WWE in the very short period of time that he's that he was there. I mean, he's been in TNA longer than he was ever in WWE. Former IC yeah. champion, WWE champion, World Heavyweight champion, King of the Ring, everything. Six, you know, he beat six of the all-time draws, with the exception of Rikishi, of course, <laughs> at the. In the same match, that is unreal. The only other person who had, I mean, he kind of did it shorthandedly. I mean, I mean, Chris Jericho always harps on, you know, he beat Stone Cold and The Rock in the same night or whatever. But if you watch that pay-per-view, it was pretty underhanded. And the way Kurt Angle did it, too, in the Hell in a Cell was pretty. But you understand, those were six of the last 15, 20 years, the six biggest draws of our business, of, of, of the wrestling business, period, and he beat them all in the same match. 
I think that yeah. alone, I mean, that fact, in addition to everything that we talked about before with all the accolades and whatnot, makes Kurt Angle one of the most underrated superstars in WWE history. And that's not even taking into an account his great ability as a wrestler. I mean, definitely one of the best wrestlers in WWE history. So I think bringing him back is, would definitely have its benefits. And a Hall of Fame spot, I think, is pretty much guaranteed at this point. When it would be, I have no idea. But I think bottom line is that we need to see Kurt Angle back at his home in WWE when it will be, I have no idea. But here is hoping that he did not re-sign with TNA. He made the right decision. He's going to go free agent, and he will sign back with the WWE in time for WrestleMania. But you mentioned this before, and I did want to talk about this. Batista has uh, pretty much wrapped up most of the promotion for Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's really all up in the air right now. I know there were a few reports, and there have been countless reports, when it comes to Batista not liking what Creative did and stuff like that. For the full bottom line of Batista, all you got to do is go listen to his podcast he did with Chris Jericho only a couple of weeks ago to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy, his most recent WWE tenure, all that kind of stuff. It's great. He lays it down and talking about how all the reports about him not wanting to job to Daniel Bryan and all that kind of garbage was completely false. And that I know there were reports, I think about right before then or during that period of time, about a couple of weeks ago, that Batista would not be back. He's done with wrestling. It's all about his movie career now. It's not like that at all. I mean, like you said before, he's definitely passionate about the wrestling business. He will be back. He said that before. I'm pretty sure he signed a two-year contract with WWE only a couple of uh, months ago, right before WrestleMania when he came back the first well, time. Just, 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 just think about it. I mean, yeah, The Rock has had some big movies, obviously. But right now, as far as success in one picture, I mean, to my knowledge, Batista is the most... That is the most successful professional wrestler to play a big part in a movie ever. That's, I mean, if you think about it, what, can you think of any other films that were as big as Guardians of the Galaxy that had a pro wrestler in them that still, you know, had a passion for pro wrestling? I, I can't. I'm trying to think about The Rocks movies and if any one of them reached the same success as Batista's Guardians of the Galaxy, and I don't think any one of them did. Maybe one of the Fast and Furious movies, but aside from that, I can't think of any. Well, yeah, even though those movies are successful, but, I mean, they're, Guardians of the Galaxy is still, I mean, it was still number one as of, what, a couple weeks ago? Yeah, as of, like, a week or two ago, absolutely. Like I said, you work at, you work at your, uh, your movie theater, and people are still coming in there to see it. <laughs> exactly. People are still coming to see Guardians of the Galaxy, man. It's fantastic. It's, it's not surprising either. It was a great movie. But, yeah, people are still going to see that movie. It's, it's leading the charts in movie theaters. Draw, it's crazy. huge for WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Huge people could be like, oh, you know, it's trash. Yeah, and you think about it, you could have some, if, if him and Lesnar main evented the WrestleMania, the two cross, you'd have three the eyes of three different communities all centered at one show: wrestling, MMA, and movie. Got movie crowds who aren't, and then they're in LA. So I mean, it's. That would be an incredible, I mean, as far as business standpoint goes, that would be an incredible main event. And those guys have never wrestled each other. Exactly. They wrestled each other once, each other once in OVW. And it was, it, I mean, it wasn't a bad match, but I mean, they, they both of them didn't know what they were doing. So, I mean, they've never wrestled each other. You have all three, all three communities of, you know, the male demographic entertainment, for the most part, just glued. That would, I mean, maybe you, if you wanted to be, you know, greedy with your in-house talent throw John Cena in there for a triple threat or something but like that would be a triple threat between Lesnar Batista and John Cena that would be massive 
Honestly speaking here, I don't know how well this is going to go over, but I wouldn't mind a Fatal 4-Way match. And I know like WWE does not like Fatal 4-Way or multi-man matches for the world yeah. title at WrestleMania. They did win this past year for the Triple Threat. But I could definitely see like an OVW Class of 02 Fatal 4-Way match. A match I wanted to see this year at WrestleMania. We didn't get it. I liked what we got instead, of course, in the long run. But a John mm-hmm. Cena, Brock Lesnar, Batista, Randy Orton Fatal 4-Way matchup. Probably for the championship, it would have to be. Um, in the main you, event you, of WrestleMania 20, uh, I'm sorry, of WrestleMania 31. I, I, I know you're a straight-edge guy, but you got to be high saying Randy Orton. <laughs> of all you, people. You, that, that is the most ridiculous idea I've ever... No, man. Randy Orton, no. He's in, he was in the main event of this year's WrestleMania. I, I, and I, I disagreed with it then, too, and so did the entire wrestling universe. That's why... Yeah, I mean, when they when they when it was Randy Orton versus Batista, everybody. I mean, uh, forgive my French, but everybody shat on it. They just were like, "No, there's no way they got to do something." Myself included. Leading up to WrestleMania uh, 30, I was probably the most unhappy I've been as a wrestling fan my entire life. I mean, I like Batista. Don't get me wrong, but as far as I can remember wrestling, I was like, I don't want to see Randy Orton Batista. And, they, and not, not to WWE's credit, they turned everything around. WrestleMania 30 was a great show. But nobody cares about Randy Orton. Nobody's ever going to care about Randy Orton like WWE wants them to. And I think if you're going to put a fourth guy in that match, it's got to be... Daniel Bryan? Three, yeah, I mean, those three, those three guys stand alone on themselves, face or heel, doesn't matter. Those guys are going to draw money. You grab your... I'm not even saying Daniel Bryan. Whoever your top baby face is at the time, it, whether it be a Roman Reigns, whether it be a... But it has to be somebody who's not established and then have that man go over. Because when you get those three those three people in the ring, the Cena, Lesnar, and Batista, you can't have either one of them beat each other. You just can't. There's, there's no way you can, you can pull that off. You'd have the fourth man who is a WWE homegrown guy win and put over your own company and it'd be and not a, not as a dig don't get me wrong not as a dig to the other forms of entertainment but just as a wrestling promotion you put over your biggest wrestling guy because seeing the transcends I hate to say it he transcends just wrestling in my opinion I mean everybody knows who John Cena John Cena is a, is a brand as much as you know he's a polarizing figure he's a brand People don't look at John Cena, I don't think, and think WWE. They just think, they look at John Cena and say, there's people who don't watch wrestling that know who John Cena is. He's kind of, he's not as, he's not on the level of The Rock in that respect, but he's pretty damn close. So you got to have the wrestler go over the movie star, the MMA guy, and the Hulk Hogan of our generation. That's just, in my opinion. It would solidify them as a star indefinitely, regardless of who it would be. And actually, in that case, if you put in Daniel Bryan, it would make more sense in having him beat Brock Lesnar just one-on-one because he wouldn't have to pin Brock Lesnar. He could pin Batista like he did this year at WrestleMania when he made him tap out. He could pin John Cena. You yeah, know what I mean? So I, I, they're not going to give him two no, no, no. no, I don't think moments so. in a row. And they're never going to give... Honestly, even if Daniel Bryan does come back, he... They, not not on his own. He didn't. It wasn't malicious, obviously. But he burned that company so bad. You just give this guy this giant moment. You know, you give the the, the real first independent wrestling star 
that people love, the first internet guy, quote unquote, and you give him the biggest stage ever for a WrestleMania, WrestleMania 30, double title match, end of the card, confetti everywhere, and then he fizzles out in the last month and gets hurt. That, to me, is going to keep Daniel Bryan out of the main event picture for, in, in the eyes of the company, I would imagine. That's something that a lot of people have said, too, in that I, a lot of people don't expect Daniel Bryan to be back in the main event when he comes back. It really, it's all a matter of how again, over he is. You can't argue with crowd. You can't argue with crowd response. I mean, if he comes back and the crowd does what they always do for Daniel Bryan and just rallies behind him, you can't ignore that. Exactly, like so, last year. That, yeah, exactly. Like, even if, you know, he got hurt, you can't sit there and, like, it's not like it's a Dolph Ziggler or a Zack Ryder where people, like, cheer for him ironically. Like, it's just, it's, it, he's huge. People love that guy, and you cannot, you absolutely cannot ignore that. I just think everything that happened this past year with Daniel Bryan, the injury and everything else, I'm not even going to blame it on Bryan or even WWE for that matter. It's just kind of a case of bad timing. I mean, it wasn't him who got injured. I mean, I mean he got injured, but of course it really wasn't his fault. It wasn't like he walked out like Punk or anything. It was just really all a matter of bad timing and the bad booking of when he was champion. He had the biggest win in WrestleMania history, at least in recent memory. And then he went on to feud with Kane, of all people. You know what I mean? That wasn't really his fault. It was more of WWE's no, booking. No, it event. wasn't his fault at all. And when he was like running away from Kane in that backstage parking lot thing, like that was stupid. See, well, no, no. To this day, why they didn't have John Cena challenge Daniel Bryan at the following pay-per-view is beyond me. John Cena came over. He went over. Bray Wyatt clean at WrestleMania. He had all that momentum. And then, you know, he still owed Daniel Bryan for the SummerSlam match. So to this day, why the hell it was Kane and not follow that immediately with John Cena and Daniel Bryan? Maybe not at Extreme Rules. Maybe have them, you know, act like a team or whatever and go up against Kane and Orton or something at Extreme Rules. But the next logical pay-per-view that those two could have a singles match why they didn't do that? I mean, he got hurt, obviously. But, I don't know. Man, that could have been great. But they just really shit the bed with that Kane thing. Who gives a hell about Kane? Well, that's exactly it, too. I think, I don't know why they gave him Kane. It, it, what made it worse is the fact, I mean, I, I like the fact they gave the title, the champion, the main event spot of the pay-per-view. But against Kane, it really made no sense. And I love the no, Evolution Shield stuff they did. But what they could have done Wyatt. was put Bray Wyatt in there instead. And I think what they could have done instead was have Bray Wyatt go over John Cena. And or the fact they had John Orton. Cena go over at WrestleMania was absolutely a joke. So they got to Wyatt win and then do Wyatt, Daniel Bryan, or, <clears throat> or Daniel Bryan, or... Triple H or whoever else, you know, anyone but Kane, pretty much. Exactly. It could like anybody. Wyatt, Orton, it's just literally anybody <laughs> except for Kane. Makes sense. <laughs> exactly. It made like, literally no sense. Victor, you could have deal with the with Punk when he was the champ, and let you know have him wrestle Ziggler or somebody. Like, just anybody but Kane. I just, that whole angle just makes me want to say all of the curse words. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we spent a lot of this time talking about Kurt Angle, Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, Batista, all this other stuff. No, 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 it's okay. A lot of great stuff, a lot of great discussion, but in the final 10 minutes, I do want to talk a little bit about Night of Champions. Um, Obviously, we won't go match for match, but what were your overall thoughts of this past Sunday's pay-per-view? Oh, man, that was... Night of Champions, for me, was the biggest give-or-take pay-per-view 
of the year so far for me. Like, the matches that I really didn't care about were the ones that I actually felt myself invested in. Like, Sheamus and Cesaro, those guys have wrestled each other a million times, but that was a brawl. That was a, but it seems like the, the opening match, the tag team match, I thought was fantastic. I love that Golden Stardust went over. I love that. And then it seemed like they had a good match and then a bad match. Like, the, the whole Miz and, and, and Ziggler with the Florida Georgia line, who, who gives a shit about Florida Georgia line? That segment is something you do on a Raw. You don't bring those idiots out on a pay-per-view and expect us to care about them. Like, and, but, so there were some parts that really made me mad. And then the end of the show, I get why they did it, but I still don't, I, I don't, I don't like the fact that John Cena, for the most part, came off like he was just beating Brock Lesnar's ass. Like that, that irritated me. Not because I'm a Brock Lesnar fan, just because if you're going to have the false finish anyway with the DQ, why the hell would you not have them going into the Hell in a Cell match? I mean, you don't even have to do that. The match couldn't. The match could have went five, ten minutes of just those two going back and forth a little bit, and then you know Lesnar looking a little scared, like holy shit, maybe this is a different John Cena, and then have Rollins come in. When Cena trying to you know win or something, but don't don't book the match like Cena just barrel rolled over Lesnar. That pissed me off so bad, man. I think the match itself between Brock Lesnar and John Cena was very good. They had to change it up. It couldn't have been a complete squash once again. They had to do a different style this time around. Absolutely. They gave, they gave John Cena a, a more offense, obviously, than they did last time. But it was also done in a way that he wasn't completely dominating Brock Lesnar, thus taking away from his credibility. The matchup itself, I loved. I really, really enjoyed it. But like you said before, I think the finish itself, like you said, I know why they did it. I understand why they did it. They want to build towards Hell in a Cell. I mean, it makes sense. We often complain about Hell in a Cell not having that same meaning that it used to, and we can't get blood in a PG environment. But Hell in a Cell matches should be used for these kind of feuds to blow off a feud as opposed to a placeholder or something like that. that. That right there to me is why I said that Cena coming back and doing this in the first place was the stupidest, the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Don't even have Lesnar on the pay-per-view. Don't, he, he doesn't need to defend his title the way, 30, like five weeks after winning it the first time against Cena. Like in the Hell in a Cell, oh, that would have been incredible for those two just to have their... You know, if John Cena wanted his rematch, have it in the Hell in a Cell. Because now we have what? We have three John Cena Lesnar matches that were pretty much in the same environment, with the exception of the first one. And then now you get a Hell in a Cell. That's it's uneven matching. And it, why not have the third and rubber match in the Hell in a Cell? Why do you have to have that fourth throwaway match? That just makes no sense to me. Yeah, that really made no sense. I understand why they had Brock Lesnar in Night of Champions. It is Night of Champions after all. But the fact that they booked this the way it did with the disqualification, at least make it go to a double DQ with the two trying to beat the living crap out of one another. Because that was another mm-hmm. thing, too. We'll talk about this briefly. Going into Monday, going into Night of Champions on Monday Night Raw, 
Paul Heyman was playing up the fact he was playing all emperor to John Cena's Luke Skywalker and that he was trying to transition him over to the dark side, have him go heel. John Cena said, I'll never do that. And all that kind of stuff. So they're trying to, they're trying to tease a John Cena heel turn for the millionth time. No one bought it. Yeah. But they could have at least attempted to try to tell that story in this matchup. It wasn't even like John Cena tried to take a steel chair and got himself DQ'd no. or anything like that. That would have made sense he with just John came Cena. out and was John Cena. Exactly. Like exactly it. Super Cena. And people are sick and tired of it. Exactly. It made no sense. It didn't it didn't go in with the story. It didn't make any sense with the story they were trying to tell going into this pay-per-view. Like I said, love the matchup, but it was just not consistent. What they could have done instead was have them go to a double DQ or have Cena get himself disqualified, you know, having this anger come out of him, get himself DQ'd, and then he walks away, out comes Seth Rollins to cash in on a beaten Brock right. Lesnar. And even the, 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 the Star Wars Han Solo whatever uh, <laughs> uh, um the Sith thing, yeah. Use, yeah, would have been way better utilized heading into a cage match. Exactly. As opposed to just a regular old, oh, here comes Cena down to the ring with a towel. Herp, derp, derp. No, nobody cares. Like, it, that would have been an incredible angle. And then they completely blew it with that cartoony nonsense they did the week before WrestleMania. Here's the thing. I love realism in wrestling. I know wrestling isn't real. I'm not a child. I know that. But... Any kind of the, the the less I have to defend my disbelief to believe something, I am more entertained. And the Monday before Raw, you're going to put Paul Heyman in the thing, and it, oh hey, Great Khali hasn't done anything in six months. Let's just put him by the door. No, that was stupid. And then you're going to tell me that a Division One amateur champling, excuse me, a Division One champion. NCAA wrestler, a former UFC heavyweight champion, can't break the guard of John Cena when John Cena's throwing fake wrestling punches at his face? That was the stupidest thing. Those two should not have even touched each other before the pay-per-view, let alone have Cena tackle him. And you going to tell me that Brock Lesnar, Brock goddamn Lesnar, of all people, can't break the guard of John Cena? That is insulting to me as a wrestling fan and as a person with a brain, in my opinion. I can see why they're trying to set up the Hell in the Cell matchup. It should be a great contest. But another thing is that, I don't know about you, but I'm getting tired of this feud. And I like long feuds and stuff like that. With Brock Lesnar not being on every Raw, it kind of makes it a little bit better. And they have yet to announce that they're facing each other at Hell in the Cell. Like, there was a report that was saying that it has yet to be... Yeah, we're just assuming. It looks like they're going that route. And if they don't go that route, then the booking of last night or Sunday's pay-per-view makes it even worse. But um, Absolutely. we'll get to that in a second. But I just don't know how they can drag this feud out. And Hell in a Cell isn't for another three weeks, four weeks. It's in five weeks. So I don't know if I can yep. live with another Paul Heyman, John Cena encounter. And it's not like Brock Lesnar can wrestle See, on Raw and build towards the pay-per-view. Lesnar can't wrestle on Raw, so it makes it a little bit harder for them to build towards his match for a third time. Maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm just a, a Paul Heyman mark, I guess you could say. But uh I, Paul Heyman could sell to me for fifty two weeks out of a year that Eskimos need to buy ice. He really could. He can if anybody can stretch it out and make it at least somewhat entertaining, Paul Heyman could do it. So you gotta keep that in your back pocket that no matter what, you're gonna have a man that can continue any angle no matter how you could put him in the middle of the Bella angle, which is the stupidest angle in the history of wrestling. But I don't, I don't know if we'll talk about that or not. But like you just, 
you could put him in anything. So I think that he he has. I hate to put it all on one man, but he could extend any feud with anybody. So I don't think that would be an issue. I wouldn't mind seeing another five weeks of Paul Heyman trash talking John Cena and then going back and forth or whatever. But as long as it's done in a different way and not just, I'm a good guy and you're the bad guy. But John Cena, so that's probably what it would be. No, I agree. Paul Heyman is a master of the microphone. He's been making these segments with John Cena so entertaining over the last couple of weeks. So I look forward to him cutting these promos if that is indeed the route they take. Hopefully they just don't get um, stale with it, tiresome. Hopefully they can find new ways to make it fresh and keep it consistent with the story. So I look forward to that. Or even 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 better, keep Heyman and Lesnar both off television. And then have Lesnar, have Heyman kind of show for the first time in his career, doubt in Brock Lesnar. Have Heyman come out and, you know, have like maybe a backstage segment or Heyman, you know, just for the first time, just not kind of doubting Brock Lesnar and just saying, you're this, you're the former UFC heavyweight champion, the rating defending, you know, whatever. And you're going to let a man like John Cena and just have Lesnar, just these vignettes of Lesnar training with Heyman just like barreling in his ear. You could do that for five weeks, and that would pump me up over another program of what we just saw. Oh, exactly. I think if they had the video packages or backstage segments with Paul Heyman, I think they can make it work. I think they can make it entertaining. But the only thing, my only gripe with this feud right now, is the fact they never really followed it up at all. Last night on Raw, there was Mm -hmm. no Brock Lesnar, there was no Paul Heyman, there was really no mention of the champion himself. That was was the only issue with it. If I was never a wrestling fan, if if I knew nothing about wrestling, and I tuned in the last Monday Night's Raw, John Cena would have been the world heavyweight champion. Exactly. If I'm watching the show, I'm going, oh, this dude's the champ, this dude doesn't like that guy. Oh, okay, cool. Like, that would have been, that is what it was. You book John Cena as a babyface heavyweight champion, and all you do is, yeah, Lesnar beat him. Nothing. No pain in being digested about what happened. Anything. So you're, if you're having an off television champion is fine, but you gotta you gotta hammer the point that hey yeah these guys are doing what they're doing, but this guy is the man. This guy is the world heavyweight champion, and that's not what they did the following Raw, and that's what was very disappointing. As a follow up show to Night of Champions, I definitely think they failed in that respect in making Brock Lesnar. Mentioned. They never mentioned it at all. That was the only issue with it. I mean, I know they showed the footage of the ending of the matchup, the end of the championship matchup. It really they made no sense. They really need to come up a with a better way of booking going into Hell in a Cell. What was that? They mentioned Florida Georgia line more than they did their world heavyweight champion. That says it all right there. Exactly. It's really sad. It's really sad. Hopefully they can rectify that booking going to Hell in a Cell. But with the final few minutes that we have left, um, we won't talk about the Bellas angle. We won't make our viewers, our listeners suffer through that garbage. God. But um, God we will talk awful. about this very, very briefly. I want to get your no, thoughts on no, this. No, just, just, just one small side point about that. Go ahead. With all this shit being said, that Divas match at that pay-per-view was, for me, the number two match of the night as far as excitement, I think. That was an incredible match. And say what you will about the Bellas, this being a shitty angle, which it is horrifically bad. (laughs) It is. Nikki Bella can wrestle in the ring. She, in my opinion, if I'm watching the show, they can't talk. Good Lord, they can't. It's horrible. They can't act. They can't do anything. But when's the last time you saw a wrestler, let alone a woman, that wasn't in in Japan, 
take a flat bump from the apron to the floor. That was absolutely brutal to see somebody take that bump, let alone a woman. I think they but all deserve credit for that. I, I thought that was a very good matchup, Honestly, especially by Diva standards. Why, why it isn't Stephanie McMahon, it isn't. They need to build something towards AJ Lee and Stephanie McMahon. Oh, they will. That's absolutely. Cool. They will. So, But anyway, continue. I'm done talking about the. No, no, I absolutely agree. I think that was a very good matchup, despite the terrible Bella angle they have going on right now. I think mm-hmm. all women deserve credit for that very good matchup between Nick and, and Bella. blatant shilling of their reality show. Oh, absolutely, if, if yeah. That, that's exactly never it. never a thing, the Bellas would still be tag team valeting, you know, the minority guy they're trying to put over in the mid-card. Yep. I mean, not trying to be racist, but that would be their role if the goddamn television show was never around. Exactly, and I think all the, all three women deserve credit for that great matchup at Night of Champions. Mm-hmm. I think the whole feud with AJ and Paige has been weird with the with the lesbian teases and stuff like that, but you know they won't go all the way because it's PG. It's really weird, and all the title changes. I don't know if I'm a fan of yeah, that. But that's but, the thing, though. They can't, every time they do something that is a little bit towards the Attitude Era of things, people freak out and they catch shit over it. Like the thing with CM Punk and the, and the Ashes with Paul Bear. Like That was Attitude Era shit. And people are like, we want the Attitude Era, we want the Attitude Era. But then when they do something that's on the line, they're just like, oh, you guys crossed the line, that's bullshit. So what, I mean, people can't bitch about that because you can't complain. Because whenever they do something that's a little bit over the line, people freak out and they give the WWE shit over it. Exactly. I think wrestling fans will never be satisfied in that respect. But I do want to get your oh, brief thoughts. Fans on... will never be satisfied. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I do want to get your brief thoughts on this before we go off the air. Um, a lot of people have been on both sides of this and that whether this was a good thing or a bad thing, do you think the constant title changes with the Intercontinental Championship have benefited the belt or have have hindered the belt? I mean, it was never really prestigious in the last couple of years I'm to begin so, with. So but are you a fan of it or not? For the last, I'm going to go out on a limb and say 10 years, the Intercontinental Championship has been it's It's, it's ridiculous. To keep playing patty cake or hot potato or whatever the hell you want to call it, with the number two title in the company is ridiculous. And first of all, I think the idea of The Miz or Dolph Ziggler holding that title, period, is is not what it needs to be done. That title needs to be treated like the world heavyweight title used to be. Guys like Sheamus, Orton, you know... People like that need to be made. They need to be making. It needs to go back to what it was in the early '90s, and just have whoever's the Intercontinental Champion have the best wrestling. Seth Rollins would be an amazing Intercontinental Champion. Just a guy who can go out there, and you know that no matter what happens, the Intercontinental Title match will be the best wrestling match on the card. That is what the W. That is what the Intercontinental Title needs to be done. Now, the U.S. Title, you promote that. You got the U.S. title on what the fourth babyface in the company, Sheamus. Like that's no, like that's not the U.S. title should be used for dudes like like Rusev or Jack you know, Swagger, Jack Swagger stuff like that. Like having a feud between Rusev and Jack Swagger for the U.S. title would be it would be amazing. And don't get me wrong, I'm one of the people in the minority who love what Rusev is doing personally, but uh. It's just the Intercontinental title needs to be focused on as your second because you can have Intercontinental Championships matches on television and people would know it's a big deal because it's the number two 
title in the company. Right now, the number two title in the company are the tag team title. If you really think about it, they give more emphasis on the tag team titles than they do the Intercontinental or the U.S. title. They do, and I don't, I don't really think it's about who holds those titles as two. I mean, if they gave the title, I mean, like, like they gave the U.S. championship to Sheamus, a former multi-time world heavyweight champion, it's really all a matter of the fact of how they book them. Like, Sheamus was a guy that was, as U.S. champion, he's been champion for the better part of the last four or five months. There was a time for three or four weeks when he wasn't even on Raw at all. Like, it wasn't, he wasn't, it wasn't like he was just injured. Imagine, imagine if Sheamus was the intercontinental champion. And Sheamus was one of those guys I would put in the category that I would see as a conceivable heavyweight champion. I mean, not heavyweight champion, but a conceivable intercontinental champion. I may not be a fan of him, but you know when that guy steps in the ring on a Sunday night at a pay-per-view, he's going to get the job done in the ring. Same thing with a guy like Cesaro. If that match was for the intercontinental title, that would have made the intercontinental titles prestige within the company and within the storylines through the roof. Because people would have looked, if I would have watched that pay-per-view and not been a, you know, a, a giant wrestling fan like I am, I would have said, Man, those guys really went at it for that belt. That must be a big deal. But no, for me, I'm going, man, that U.S. title must be a big deal because those guys beat the shit out of each other for it. And this title involves two country singers who don't mean a goddamn thing to anybody. I mean, not not anybody. They're, you know, they're really great-selling artists and all that stuff, but you know, all these stupid, gimmicky things that you don't need to have a title attached to, period, let alone your second most important belt. Well, that's exactly it, too. I think the way that they book the champions needs to be better as well. I mean, if you give these guys direction and actual feed with some storyline support, they'll have the best match on the show. Sheamus and Cesaro, their feud going into this show, I mean, it was there, but it was basically non-existent. It really didn't have much storyline support aside from one guy attacking the other. But you give them a match, you have them go one-on-one, they have the best match on the show. You know what I mean? So... The matches are there. The in-ring action is there. It's just basically how they book the feuds. They book the champions going into the show and not losing every non-title matchup for no reason. I mean, it's one thing if Cesaro beat Sheamus in a non-title matchup, earning a championship matchup at the next pay-per-view. But it's another thing if a guy like Sheamus is U.S. champion and they have him lose to Seth Rollins on an episode of Raw and don't give a title shot to Seth Rollins. You know what I mean? Like, that makes no sense to me. Well, no, the thing is, is the Intercontinental title has always been historically given to the best workers. Yes, and absolutely. Yep. A, guy like, a guy like Cesaro should be Intercontinental champion. Yes. Because no matter who he wrestles, he can go out and have a match, and people will know that that title is the best wrestling title in the company. It's not the most important, but you know that it's going to be an entertaining match. Guys like Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Mr. Perfect, you know, Bret Hart to a certain extent, it's just these, the guys who wrestle hold that title, and that's what makes the title so important. Personality does not make the Intercontinental title. It doesn't have to. You don't have to have an Intercontinental champion come out and cutting the greatest promos, you know, or you know, come out and being, you know, super over with the, not over with the crowd, but super energetic and giving these great promos and does movies or whatever. That doesn't need to be it. You just need to have a guy who can wrestle and do it well. Hopefully WWE can do something like that with their mid-card champions. I think that's what's really lacking right now. It's something they really haven't picked up on in the last number of years. Like you said, for the better part of 10 years, both titles basically meant nothing. But hopefully they can rectify that booking in the near future. Include the NXT title matches. Include the NXT title matches on the the NXT specials too, of course. But every couple months or every every so often, maybe even every pay-per-view, give us an NXT title match. 
on the pay-per-view to conceivably draw attention towards your network because you you know you could say oh you want to see these guys wrestle you got to buy the network and then you like they did on Raw a couple weeks ago exactly yeah like they did on Raw with guys but instead of having you know two guys four guys go out in a tag match you say hey these guys and then imagine if that four way match at NXT was that Night of Champions yep yeah at the beginning of a card or a pre show at Night of Champions Mm -hmm. it would have blew the roof off of the place. And I think NXT right now is the closest thing that I've ever seen to an ECW since that. That is so different. It's, that is that is the, the they have competition within their own company, in my opinion. Because if they you do. sit me yep. down, I'd rather watch one hour of NXT every week than I would three hours of Raw. You have competition within your own company, and you need to utilize that. And you could have like you know these failures. You know, like the NXT invasions or whatever. Not like, not you know. Hey, I'm coming for the title and I'm in development territory. No, like, imagine when they when they get all four, all five of those new generation guys ready. Pac and Kenta and Steen and Prince Devitt. And if those dudes showed up on a Raw one night and did almost a Nexus thing, that would be incredible. Like the Shield. Yeah, like the Shield, but but not. not you can't do it like they want to take over WWE because WWE is not going to let NXT get put over and you're going to bury NXT. And you, that's not what you want to do. Yeah. Just have these guys come out and have matches on Raw and the pay-per-views and just treat them like their own thing. Say, hey, you know, now we got these NXT guys. And just build NXT as its own separate brand. I would hope and they do that. So, I mean, I, I, Triple H as it is right now is already calling that show a separate brand. That's what happened with Adam Rose and Bo Dallas. You didn't give these guys any exposure on Raw whatsoever. I mean, they gave Bo Dallas some, but that was a couple of years ago, two, three years ago. Yeah. But uh, you build these guys in NXT, and they're great, and the NXT crowd loves them. And then without even kind of giving the outside world a peek, and they have no interest, you bring these guys up from NXT, and people are like, who the hell are these guys? Like, to me watching NXT, I get it. But I, I understand why Adam Rose and Bo Dallas have fallen on their face from the perspective of a non-wrestling fan watching the product. That's a thing, too, with Adam Rose and Bo Dallas. Bo Dallas, moreover, it's a different story for Dallas because I think he was getting over before they broke his undefeated streak, and he hasn't been the same since. Adam Rose, I think, was a doom from the start because they put that gimmick in NXT, and it was over the first night in, but right afterwards, they brought him up to the main roster. the color commentators of WWE. I could see that, yeah. The color commentating in the WWE right now is worse than when it was the Michael Cole being a heel era. The commentators are so... Last Friday, I knew I was doing the show, and uh, so I wanted to watch everything that happened. I could not sit through... The Friday Night SmackDown podcast, podcast, the Friday Night SmackDown show, because the color commentating was that bad. The match that Stardust and Goldust had, they were just so distracting and just abrasive, and it's just it's annoying. Like it's just their color commentary has completely blown the characters for Adam Rose, in my opinion, and for the whole shows in general. There was a couple. There was at least five or six times during those United Champions pay per views that 
they ruined a false finish because one of the dumbass announcers gave it away. Like either Jerry the King Lawler going, oh, this is it right here, boom, and then they kick out. Like, no, don't. When you say that, us as wrestling fans know that's not going to be the case. If you sit there and you've got to sell what happens in the ring, like you don't know what's going to happen, and not say the same thing every time. Just not say, you know, like during the Brock Lesnar Cena match, there's a couple of times Jerry King Lawler was like, oh, this is it right here. And then, you know, it's just, it's, it's asinine and it's completely, it's completely, um, it, it voids from the show and it's a hindrance in my opinion. I think the commentary in general, overall, for every show, Raw, SmackDown, Main Event, whatever else, is in major need of a shakeup. I think you need to break up Lawler, Cole, and JBL. Those three guys, especially for three hours on an episode of Raw, Lawler, are so distracting. Lawler, I think, is well past his prime. I mean, he's way better as a heel, but you know he's not going to go back to that. creepy uncle that you don't want to go to the basement with for far too long, and he needs to go. Yep. But they kept him around, honestly... The heart attack didn't happen to Jerry Lawler. Obviously, it was bad, and you know nobody wants to see that. But it's that when he was gone, that was the best. Him and him and JBL were doing the best commentary <laughs> exactly in years, and they had Jim Jerry Ross there Lawler, too. Yeah, Jerry Lawler is just god awful at color commentary. Yeah, if he is. can't talk about tits or whatever else is freaky ass <laughs> and fond of. He's he's unentertaining, and he's, he he just he he adds an extra element because if you bring it just down, if you just bring it down to Cole and JBL, you have a heel announcer and a face announcer that can play off of each other, and then now you got the heel announcer and the face announcer trying to overcompete creepy molester uncle, and they just overdo it, and it's it's an unnecessary three man commentary team. I think even then with Michael Cole and JBL, I mean, they had had they did have good chemistry back in the day, but now JBL is so over the top as a heel, and it's getting it's getting obnoxious. I'm not a big fan of heel commentators in oh, general. I, I agree with that. I agree with that 100. But I think when they brought back JBL, as you mentioned before, my sentiments exactly right after Jerry Lawler had that heart attack, and they brought in Jim Ross, they brought in JBL, they had that three man booth on Raw with Cole. I think I think he's a very underrated announcer. But when you put him in an environment with guys like Lawler and JBL, they focus far too much. He just tries to be cool. Exactly. It's ridiculous, and I can't blame it all on him. It's a, they're just reading off the lines that Vince gives them in their ear and all that kind of garbage. But. I think yeah. if you have a quality three-man booth with a guy like Jim Ross or, hell, even Renee Young or Tom Phillips or Byron Saxton, William Regal, Alex Riley, Tensai, whoever. Well, first off, the NXT commentary is amazing, I think. I think the NXT commentary... Way better. The, Way better. Again, that show is on a completely different plane as composed to the, the rest of... Like, those NXT shows hold up to the old Raws you can watch on the network as far as entertainment goes, yep. in my opinion. I agree. And it's only going to get better when you add Steen and Devitt and Kenta or Hideo or whatever he renamed himself. Like, it's just, it's only going to get better. And I think that WWE is going to have no choice but to go, you know, we got this network and people are watching their shit and they like it more. We're going to have to do something different or people are going to, you know, not. They're going to, they're going to see the difference. They're going to, wrestling always has a way of evening everything out. Like, I know the internet wrestling community always bashes it and, you know, we're never satisfied or whatever, but they always have a way of bringing it around to make it better. And I just hope that that time is sooner than later.
I surely hope so. And on that note, we will close out the show. Jacob, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a great time talking about everything, pretty much. Batista, Kurt Angle, NXT, Commentary, Night of Champions, Raw, everything, man. It's been so much fun. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, man. So what do you got to say? Any plugs, any Facebook, Twitter, anything you'd like to uh, share with the audience before we let you go? No, just uh, um, I link you. You link my Twitter to your uh, post about the show, and that's it. And my uh, number one dream match of all time is uh, Lesnar with Heyman against Vader with Jim Cornette. Sounds good, man. <laughs> Sounds good. Like we've said before, hopefully we can have you on another time talking about uh, the dream matches and, so, and all that kind of stuff. We right. talked about so much today, and, it, and it's amazing, and the hour has already flown by. We ramble when we talk, man. It's cool. I get it. <laughs> absolutely. No, no. We don't even ramble. We have so much intriguing conversation time and stuff like that. It just absolutely flies by, so it's good stuff, man. But hopefully we can have you back on the show soon, and like I said before, um, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me, man. No problem. And on that note, we'll go uh, off the air with this. If you guys want to check me out, you can find me on Facebook at Graham GSM Matthews. Twitter, follow me at WrestleRant. Um, we're live here on Live365.com backslash stations backslash ECTV73. We're live every Tuesday night, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 Central Time. We'll be back next Tuesday night talking Raw and everything else in between. Thanks for listening in, folks, and we'll catch you next week. Oh,